Good morning. Again, uh, it is uh, good to be with you. And uh, if you are surprised I'm preaching, you're not alone. Uh, I was surprised Friday morning when I got a text from Pastor Craig saying that he was sick and that uh, I might want to, uh, to have something prepared. Well, by about 4 o'clock Friday afternoon, he removed any doubt and said uh, that he would not be able to be with us uh, and, uh, and ask if I would, uh, would preach. I'm, I'm always grateful to have the opportunity to preach and thankful that, uh, for uh, him allowing However, uh, I, we would much rather him be here today. Uh, we're hateful, or we're disappointed that he is not well. But in addition to him being sick, I got a text this morning early from Pastor Dave. And he too is sick. So, um, Willene, you're kind of the remnant, you and Will, of the office. Uh, so, I, I don't know that, uh, that you may want to, uh, want to fumigate it. But, uh, but we are grateful uh, that you guys are here. And um, I want to recognize some folks today. This group of folks up here today, they're making sacrifice of remaining in the choir uh, we made the request this week that of asking the choir to stay up here as uh, God has continued to, to be so gracious to add to our number and to bring more people. And, and I know you're making sacrifices uh, week in and week out. I know some of you are parking in the grass over, you know, almost at the mall. And we've got folks parking in cul-de-sacs and across the street. And, and we're grateful for that. And, and that's not lost on us. I, I will assure you that we as a staff and your leadership are working on remedies to that. And uh, we're working with folks that are a lot smarter than us to get the right answers to that. Uh, but one of the first steps in that was asking these kind souls to stay up here. And we're grateful for that. Uh, I uh, I know Pastor Craig, he, he specifically wanted to let them know how much they appreciate it. I know you're grateful to them for doing that. And um, I know that you guys, uh, y'all uh, are uh, packed together most Sundays, much more uh, than uh, in uh, previous times. Uh, I do want to remind you, there are some pews up here close to the front that oftentimes are quite lonely. Uh, so I do want to invite you to those in, uh, in the future weeks. I also uh, thank you so much as you, uh, I've noticed over the recent weeks as you've been uh, so conscious of sliding together and making it where it's much easier for guests and for folks coming in to get to the end uh, seat. So thank you for all of those things. Those things matter. And I want you to know that as from us as a leadership that those are things that matter. Uh, and, uh, and we appreciate so much that uh, God's been incredibly gracious to us and so good to us. And we want to be good stewards of all that he provides and all that he brings to us. And, and thank you for all that you do uh, in respect to that. This morning we're going to be in Psalm 103. So I hope you, if you have your Bibles, you'll take and turn to that psalm. I realize that this is an extremely, uh, extremely uh, familiar psalm to most of you that, uh, as one person told me this morning, said, I think I've read that a few times. And uh, yes, it, it is. Most of us have read it many times over, and most of you can, uh, can quote that, uh, at least portions of it. It just comes to mind. Uh, but we're going to be spending some time there in this very familiar and rich psalm. And uh, 
Charles Spurgeon said this about this psalm. He said, As in the lofty Alps, some peaks rise above all others. So among even the inspired psalms, there are heights of some which overtop the rest. This hundred and third psalm has ever seemed to us to be the Mont Rosa of the divine chain of mountain tops of praise. Honestly, in many ways this morning, what we're going to do in looking at this is going to be just a scratching of the surface of the depths of this passage. But I do believe that God has something very specific for us to understand this morning. For Ivy Creek to understand and to, to grasp as we look at this truth. I want us to think of this thought of how often, how often do you and I offer to God pure and heartfelt worship? John 4.23 tells us that God is looking for true worshipers. Those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. To worship God in spirit means that our inner being must be right with God. We can't just go through the motions and call it worship. One pastor said it this way. He said, worship is similar to love. It's not based on feelings. But if it's genuine, feelings naturally will be involved. The great pastor from the 1700s, Jonathan Edwards, said this about true worship. There is no true worship that does not touch the affections. In addition to us having to worship God in spirit, we also have to be very conscious of the content that is included in our worship. As I've told many of you, and I told some of you even this week, one of the things that I appreciate so much about our orchestra and our choir and will leading us in worship is that when we come in here to worship, and when we come in here to sing songs, the words to the songs that we sing, they're worth singing. They're words that matter. They're words that have depth. You and I need to understand that when we come to worship, the content of our worship matters because we must worship God in truth. We must worship Him based on the truth of His holy word. And that worship begins with an understanding, begins with an understanding of who is God. But it's also followed up with an understanding of who we are in relationship to God. As the reality of these two understandings come together, we can be overcome by the awe, the reverence, the gratitude, and the love that we have towards God as we acknowledge to him, as we acknowledge to him 
all that he has done, all that he is doing, but also all that he is going to do. Psalm 103 is just an example of pure worship that David pours out before us here in this psalm. Throughout the scriptures, we are told of God, of God desiring worshipers. And then throughout scripture, we're told of humanity. We're told of a people who desire something to worship. In this psalm, we don't have David coming with any petitions. He doesn't come with any cries for deliverance or for help. We simply have him laser-focused on proclaiming worship to the God of the universe as he acknowledges God's goodness, God's greatness, and as he allows that to overflow in his words. This morning, we're going to read the entire 103rd Psalm. I hope you have your Bibles. I hope you'll follow along there as we read this passage, beginning with verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that, your mouth, uh, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities or has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass and, a flower of the, and as a flower of the field. So he flourishes. For the wind passes over it and it is gone. And in its place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. On those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. To such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments to do them. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his who do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, 
Oh, my soul. Please join me as we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the beauty of your word. We thank you for it being your inspired word for us that gives us encouragement, gives us hope, and gives us instruction. I pray this morning that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would make us attentive to what you would have to say to us. Father, I pray it would please you to use these words to draw us into a greater understanding of you, a greater understanding of our need for you, and Father, that we would respond in pure, heartfelt worship to you. Father, thank you for your graciousness and goodness to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We're not told of the circumstance surrounding this psalm being written. In some of the psalms, we're told a history and told a little bit about what was going on in the life of the psalmist. But in this particular one, we don't have a lot of background information. But some have surmised that David was in a period where he was in a state of emotional, mental, and even spiritual unrest. And that it was in this state that he comes and that he essentially is preaching to himself a message. A number of years ago, Pastor Craig made this statement during one of his sermons. And he said, possibly the most important sermon you will hear is the one that you preach to yourself. A favorite author of mine and Tracy's is a gentleman by the name of Paul Tripp. He's fond of saying, no one is more influential in your life than you because no one talks to you more than you do. When I was growing up, I enjoyed playing out in the yard and being out of the house quite a bit. My parents tell a story of me playing out in the side yard and my mom calling out and asking me, saying, Ted, who are you talking to out there? And me yelling back up to her, I just talked by myself. Well, you know, a lot of us, we talk by ourselves quite a bit. And as a result of that, talking by ourselves, we have to be very careful of what we are telling ourselves. Because the things that you and I are speaking into our lives determine actions. They end up determining character. And ultimately, they end up determining destinations. What we see through David's example is David remembering and recounting to himself the truths of God and speaking those words of life and truth back into our lives. Do you know one of the most valuable things of memorizing God's Word is that when you go to talk to yourself, you have something of much greater value to say to yourself. And here, David 
is speaking words of truth as he recounts the great goodness of God. As he recounts how it met his needs. And this morning, that's the theme we're going to look at. Is the great goodness of God meeting our great needs. We see that flowing through and working through this entire passage. As we come to this and we look at it, one of the first things that we realize in this is that we see that God's goodness is not to be doubted. If we go all the way back to Genesis, there in the garden where everything was perfect, and the serpent comes in, the lie that he brings to Adam and Eve is questioning the goodness of God. He questions whether or not what God has said is best for them. In some way, God is desiring to deprive you of what is good for you. That lie still is a choice, a supreme choice of the enemy in our lives. Young people, he tells you and he whispers it in your lives day in and day out. Those rules, those restrictions, those guidances, the structure, the boundaries that have been set up for your good that your parents have given, they're based on scripture. That's restricting you. It's keeping you from enjoying all that life has to offer. But the reality is, if we trust that God is good and we trust in the goodness of God, then we can understand that God does not desire to deprive us of anything. He desires to protect us from that which would destroy us. As we come and we see the goodness of God, we hear the words of David saying, you know, I don't want to forget the blessings of God. I don't want to forget all that God has done. And then he begins to recount all of the things and remind himself of how he has experienced and seen God working in his life. As we go through this, I hope that you can be reminded of these facts also. Number one, the first thing, God forgives and redeems. Verses four, uh, 3 and 4, we see that the Lord forgives our iniquities and the Lord redeems our lives from destruction. David knows about messing up. He knows what it is to fail miserably. And when we talk of missing the mark, David can identify with that. He knows what it is to be mired and stained with the guilt that sin brings. He remembers that sinking pit in the bottom of his soul when he heard the words of Nathan saying, you're that man. You're the one who committed adultery. You're the one that killed her husband. You're that man. He knows what that feels like. He knows that pain. 
but also he knows the reality of forgiveness and redemption and he knows how sweet that is the freedom that comes from that frankly you and I also know the reality of needing forgiveness and redemption every one of us could give testimony of that that without Christ we would all experience destruction in the pit of hell but because Jesus has promised us life and hope that does not have to be our end destination verse 12 is one that many of you could quote the sweet reminder that our sins are not remembered as far as the east is from the west so has he removed our transgressions from us as far as the east is from the west that our sins are no longer remembered James Montgomery Boyce pastor Craig quotes often he said this of this passage the psalmist is trying to point out that however many miles you think lies between west and east you cannot look two ways at once you have to turn your back to one in order to look in the direction of the other when God forgives us he puts our sins on two different our sin and us on two different horizons so when he looks at our sin he is no longer looking at us and when he looks at us he is no longer looking at our sin to use the vocabulary of Paul he justifies us the experience the understanding that God has taken our sins and cast them as far as the east is from the west should be a great relief to us but so often the enemy brings those back we allow ourselves to be reminded of those more than we are reminded of the goodness and the faithfulness of God second God heals our disease verse 3 David states that the Lord heals all our disease many of you can give testimony of how you have seen God bring healing of sickness in your life and your loved ones you can give testimony of how the doctor said chances are not good it does, the prognosis isn't good but you can give testimony of how you saw God work miraculously to bring about his healing But I also want us to also remember the words of Jesus. Words of Jesus recorded in all three of the synoptic gospels when he said this, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, but, but those who are sick do. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We need to understand that God's greatest concern in our lives is for us to be healed from the sickness of sin and unrighteousness more so than any physical ailment that we face we also need to understand that every one of us no matter how young we are no matter how great our health may be every one of us in this place 
is terminal. The reality is that it is appointed unto man once to die. Once to die. And then the judgment. The only hope that you and I have for our disease, for our sinful condition, is understanding that Jesus, the great physician, heals. He forgives and he redeems those who believe in his name, call upon him, turn from their sins, and walk in righteousness. That is the healing that God so desperately wants to bring to our lives. Next, we see David he talks about that God satisfies and renews. The Lord does not want his children to live lives feeling deprived. He wants for us to be able to taste and see that the Lord is good. He wants us to be able to say with Elijah, even youth will faint and be weary. Young men will fall exhausted. But those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings as eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. The Lord is a God of satisfaction and renewal. In Him, we are energized and renewed. He desires for us to be strengthened for whatever you and I face by the understanding that God is the God who satisfies. He is the God that brings renewal to the life of His children. Next, David wants to remind himself and to remind us that God is righteous and just. The Lord is a defender to the weak. The underdog has an advocate. Now understand this does not mean that we desire or we seek to be the victim. But every one of us have or will face injustice, will face oppression. We will face that point in time where we need to be rescued. And God is that defender. He is our righteous and just defender that comes to the rescue of the weak and the oppressed. Next, we see David moving, and he takes us in, and this encompasses much of the latter part of this passage that he tells us that God is loving and compassionate. We might simply state it this way. The Lord is gracious. David spends from verses 7 through 17 speaking of God's love and graciousness and God's compassion towards us as his children. He says that, that the Lord is long uh, is the Lord's loving kindness, tender mercies, graciousness, slowness to anger, and his abounding mercy. The creator of all sets on us 
a crown of loving kindness and mercy. His anger, he's slow to anger, not wanting any of us to perish. He is abounding with mercy towards those who fear him. And he is a dad who shows compassion for his children. His love for them is from everlasting to everlasting. The one who formed us from dust. The one who knows our lives are like the grass of the field. The one who knows that the winds will come and our lives will be like a vapor. The eternal God, he's not only mindful of us, but he is gracious and lavishes us with love and with compassion. Now in this passage and in this section, we have a very important criteria that we need to understand here. We need to understand that all of these, the goodness of God, all these benefits that David's been talking about, there's a criteria that must be met. All of this is reserved for the children of God. We must be certain that we have placed our faith, our trust, our confidence in the God of creation. That we have accepted the forgiveness through Christ that we can be counted as children of God. It is not universal. It is not for all unless they have come to an understanding of faith in Christ that these benefits and blessings are promised to. It's for those who fear him. It's for those who keep his commandments, who walk in his way. It is only for his children. It's only for them who will experience the Father's love and the Father's compassion. The last benefit that we see as we look into this passage, he closes in, in verse 19. He tells us this. He says, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Here we understand that God is sovereign. God is in control over all. The, this truth for you and I should be a source of great comfort and a source of great strength for us. A few weeks my friend Marty Youngblood preached for us here, and he preached from Psalm 33. And he explained the sovereignty of God, and he sung to you. I'm not going to do that this morning. I would not torture you in such a way. But I would remind you that as we grasp the greatness, the vastness, the all-encompassing nature of God, we're comforted in knowing that God is in complete control and that he is more than able. 
He is more than able to accomplish all of his plans. He is more than able to complete his will. And he is more than able to bring about all of his promises to fulfillment. Yes, we can simply say he has the whole world in his hands. For us this morning, as we hear David reminding himself of the goodness of God and how his life has benefited from this goodness, it propels us to what is our response to these truths. How will we respond to these great truths, these benefits, these blessings that God lavishes on us? How shall we as children of God respond to those? Our response, the only acceptable, the only right response to the goodness and benefits of God is to follow David and engage in deep, pure worship of God. As he proclaimed, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. As we said earlier, God is a God who is seeking worshipers. And we are a people seeking something to worship. My friends, every one of us in this place is going to worship something. We were made to worship. The issue is what we worship. The only acceptable response to God's goodness is to worship Him with everything about us, with all that we are and all that we have. Back in the 1800s, there was a sailor who was converted. And he said this, to save such a sinner as I am, he shall never hear the end of it. I pray that God never hears the end of our worship. I pray that he never hears the end of our praise for all that he has done for us and in our lives. Our sermon in a sentence this morning is this. The reality of God's great goodness, which meets our great needs, should constantly call us to the deepest and purest worship of God. As God calls us to that deep, authentic worship, we're confronted with how do we respond. First of all, we've got to look and ask, us the, ask ourselves the question, am I a child of God? That first and most important question, am I a child of God? Because these benefits, God's goodness is reserved for those who are children of God. Secondly, are you experiencing joy? of knowing that your sins are not remembered anymore. 
Are you living in that reality of your sins being cast as far as the east is from the west? Is that a reality that you live in today? And also, what type of worship are we bringing to God? What is the worship that we bring to Him? Is it just going through the motions? Or is it an acknowledgement of His greatness where we stand in awe of Him as the sovereign God who created the universe and that is mindful of us? Also this week, what sermon are you preaching to yourself? What words are you speaking into you that will determine how you behave, the person you'll become, and the direction you will go? My hope and my prayer is it's the words of life, the words of truth from His Scripture that we remind ourselves of day in and day out. Please join me as we pray.